Welcome everybody to our second class for um, the code to joy, right? That's what we're learning, journey to yourself. And this month's class is called, what was it called? It is called journey of yourself, staying honest, humble, and happy. So last month we ended off with talking about gratitude, finding things in our environment and in our world that could bring us to more happiness. We, we spoke about this constant struggle from our higher self and our lower self, the, um, the animal soul and the godly soul, and why they were in constant battle over this. And we spoke about attitudes and how attitudes make us more successful. So this, this, um, this lesson, we're going to speak about staying humble and how that um, ref is reflected in our joy. And um, so I'm going to just open up with a question. And if anyone wants to answer or raise, you know, you can answer, just unmute yourself. So does living with the Torah enhance a person's self-empowerment? Do you think it detracts from it? Do you think it's irrelevant? Do you think it's neutral? Um, do you find, you know, in yourself that the more you learn Torah or the more you do mitzvot, do you find that that, um, enhances your self-empowerment? Do you have anything to say about this? Does anyone want to say anything about this? Uh, yes. Um, so <laughs> definitely I think it enhances um, I've been taking Rabbi Solish's classes for several years since I met him. And, um, oh my goodness, that made a positive, positive um, change in the way I look at things and perceive things. Um, and yeah, and so um, I'm happy to be taking your class this evening. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so you think that Judaism... And um, Torah enhances a person's self-empowerment because you're able to see things in a different way and that makes you feel empowered. Okay, so um, it's really, we're gonna look at what your purpose is, what your accomplishments are and how you view those in light of how you are living your life. So the first thing I wanna do, is it okay if I read you all a bedtime story? When is the last time someone read you a bedtime story? I'm gonna read you a story, is that okay? Just, just let me know, okay. So I'm gonna, I'm not, it's not a very long story, but it is a story, okay. It was the year 1715, about 15 years before Hasidus was revealed to the world. The Baal Shem Tov had just turned 17. He was dressed in simple threadbare clothing and a fur coat. To a passerby, he looked like one of the many peasants who roamed the area in search of a good bottle of liquor and a bed for the night. So we're talking about the Polish, Russian, Ukrainian border somewhere over there. Only his bright countenance and piercing eyes were at odds with his general appearance. He was in the habit of wandering from village to village and town to town, seeking out the simple hardworking Jews who he loved so dearly. He would inquire after their welfare, revitalize their spirits and strengthen their faith with God with the agadic teachings of our sages. No one knew his identity, nor did they concern themselves with his motives for befriend befriending these simple Jews. They themselves 
cared not for his motives, but for his warmth and his kind-heartedness. When the Baal Shem Tov began to speak, they would gather around eager to catch his every word. The first buildings of the town were visible over the horizon, but as he came closer, the Baal Shem Tov realized that something was amiss. This was an agricultural town. Today was a regular workday, yet the streets were deserted. There was not a single farmer or laborer in the fields that surrounded the town. The plows and the farming tools, they lay motionless. The sheep and cattle dozed in their pens. There was an eerie silence. He continued on, and upon reaching the town, he decided to knock on doors. Maybe the locals could tell him where all the people are. He knocked and he knocked, and he heard nothing. And he got no, no one answered the door. Suddenly, he heard a sound from afar. As he drew closer to its source, it became louder. And then as he got closer and closer, he saw that it was coming from the shul. He walked to the shul and he could see that the shul was filled to capacity with the overflowing spilling out onto the street. Some enterprising young men had climbed onto the windowsills from where, where the view was obviously excellent. So this is where everyone is, the Baal Shem Tov, Reb Yisrael thought, young Yisrael, he's not even the Baal Shem Tov yet. I wonder why he decided to investigate further. He eased his way through the crowd and was fortunate enough to find a spot just inside the doorway. On the bima in the center of the synagogue stood a darshan. A darshan is a, somebody who gets up and speaks, an orator, a lecturer, who was quite clearly preaching in a most condescending and scornful matter, manner. From the content of his speech, Yisrael concluded that the reason for this sudden meeting was a severe drought that had struck the region. It was threatening to destroy the upcoming harvest, the town's only source of income. Is it for rainfall and showers you pray? Only for an income and good harvest you plead? Shouted the preacher. Have you fulfilled your personal obligations to God that you dare stand before him and request rain? Will you behave like animals who search only for sustenance and con conduct your, your lives with such boorishness? The sound of weeping could be heard from the women's section. The preacher thought, ha, maybe I'm getting through to some of them. Know that God who dwells in the supernal heights is ashamed of you and your way of life. He created the world for the sake of Torah in order that corporeal man study his teachings day and night. And here you are, worried only about your business and your personal well-being. The expression on the faces of the men and the women was of dread and remorse. They felt so disgraced that they were unable to even look in the preacher's eyes. Rabbi Sorrell could not figure out whether the congregation had invited this preacher or whether he took it as his sacred obligation to ridicule them. At any rate, the Rebbe Yisrael was having no more of this. Silence, enough. A youthful voice suddenly cried out from the corner of the synagogue. The entire congregation turned towards the direction of the voice, shocked. Likewise, the preacher glared angrily at the impertinent youth who had dared to interrupt him. He was unsure of this young man's intentions, but that wasn't, in, wasn't his main concern. No one had ever interrupted anything he did. Rabbi Yisrael continued with his piercing eyes, who authorized you to come here and denounce the children of God? 
With whose permission have you libeled the pure souls of these simple Jews who serve Hashem with devotion and integrity? By using your knowledge of Torah as an ax with which to strike this community, you have made it abundantly clear that your learning is worthless. As to these Jews, they serve their creator with sincerity and perform mitzvot to the best of their ability. They are cherished by God. The preacher was shocked. His appraisal of the community had led him to believe that he could say whatever he wished. A ray of hope ignited the souls of the listeners and their eyes glistened brightly after they heard the words of Yisrael. Their optimism grew upon noting the expression on that preacher's face, ha. They turned towards this young man who had appeared like an angel before God. And he continued, my dear brethren, you should know that God loves you dearly and does not wish you to be miserable. On the contrary, melancholy makes the heart become as dull as a stone and causes one to become even more despondent. The severe drought that is threatening your livelihood is surely a test from Hashem by which you can prove that you have complete faith in him. And if you want to abolish this decree, do it with joy, only with joy. Come, let's dance. And he took the people out into the street and began to dance with them. The words of the Baal Shem Tov enthused the hearts of the congregants. They formed a circle and they broke out in song. With every encirclement, their faith grew stronger, their souls soaring higher and higher until everyone was dancing with jubilation. And suddenly, the sweat of these Jews was joined by a different sort of, of moisture, a drizzle that came from above. At first, they didn't notice it. So involved were they in their dancing. But after a while, the drizzle became a downpour and the raindrops on the ground were coupled with a different sort, tears of joy. Okay, so the Baal Shem Tov was the pre precursor to the Hasidic movement um, in the 17, early 1700s. And what was going on at this time, you can see from this preacher's attitude, was that this is just the kind of the, the zeitgeist of the time. All the religious people were into guilt and, and anger and, and, and really making people feel bad about themselves. But Torah is, as the Baal Shem Tov showed these people, that Torah is about joy. And that's what this whole course is about, obviously. So um, when we think of Torah and we think of being a Jew, I want you to put on the lens of privilege, okay? We, um, you know, if I leave the house, and I say to Kayla, she's 14, and underneath her as many as 12, and then Pearl and Henya are nine. They're the twins. And I say, Kayla, you're in charge. So Kayla can turn around and sit in front of the mirror that's at my front door, and she can preen, I'm in charge, I'm in charge, I'm in charge, I'm in charge. And she can sit there and be so proud of herself that she's in charge, and meanwhile, there's a fire in the kitchen and the toaster and water's overflowing in the sink and Kayla's preening that she's in charge. Or Kayla can hear those words, not look at the mirror even once and get busy making sure the house runs smoothly because I put her in charge. So this is the privilege that we have as Jews. This is our unique relationship with Hashem and our unique relationship with the world and our unique relationship with Torah. And because of this, we have every reason to be happy 
because our lives are valuable and important to Hashem. So back to the Baal Shem Tov. When the Baal Shem Tov started, this was a, this was, you know, just a very difficult time. I mean, besides for the czars and people who lived, you know, the kings who were busy conquering, the rest of the, of the world did not live in, you know, in any type of, of, of economic, you know, what's the word I'm looking for that there was, there was not a lot of excess for them. So, um, the, the Baal Shem Tov came, and then after came the Alter Rebbe, and the Alter Rebbe was the first of the seven generations of the Chabad Rebbes till our generation. And the Alter Rebbe wrote a, the classic text, which I'm sure many of you have heard of, called the, of the classic test, text of Hasidic thought, which is called the Tanya. So um, the Tanya has it's, it's a manual for living. It's, you know, it's less of an, it's less of a, a descriptive book and it's more of an instructional book. It, it tells us how to be. And, the, and a lot of it is very deep, very difficult to understand. But the first point of the philosophy, for example, is that if you view yourself as wicked, is if you view yourself as a sinner, if you view yourself as bad, you will not be able to serve Hashem with joy. And you really won't be able to serve Hashem. You won't be able to be connected to Hashem. Everything you're going to be doing is about guilt and power and and I mean um, and and control. It won't be you won't be serving Hashem in a flow in a, in a healthy way. Our self perception is very much. What we're going to learn in this class is very much connected to our joy, our self esteem, our empowerment. And what's so interesting is that. The Alter Rebbe wrote these, wrote this over 200 years ago. This was even before um, um, Freud came along and started talking about ego and feelings and and where we come from and where we're going and why we feel certain ways. Um, well, everybody, I guess this is what I want to say is that while everybody was worried about survival, the Alter Rebbe is writing about purpose. He's writing about joy. This was not you have to kind of take yourself into the context of the time. It's so relevant today, but this was written in the 1700s. So um, does the Torah care about how we, feel, how we feel about ourselves? We just heard that bedtime story and everyone can give me a resounding thumbs up. The Torah cares about how we feel about ourselves. The Torah wants us to feel good about ourselves. The Torah is not interested in our guilt. The Torah is not interested in our in feeling like we're overburdened. The Torah wants us to feel that sense of obligation from a place of empowerment. Now, this doesn't mean that there's like a switch that turns on that says, oh, Hashem wants me to be joyful. Okay, I'm joyful. For some, this is a lifelong struggle due to many circumstances, whether it's mental health, whether it's trauma, environment, upbringing, knowing how to access a joyful place inside of you is not necessary. It, it it's inherent in children. We all kind of lose it along the way somewhere with all of the wrong messaging we're given in our life. So at a certain point, we get to adulthood and we have all this, all these messages that we weren't necessarily supposed to get about our lives. So we find ourselves struggling with 
who am I? What is my purpose? What am I doing here? And sometimes we have a purpose one week and the next week we don't. Some mornings we wake up with purpose and some mornings we don't wake up with purpose. So this is what we're going to be describing here is called in, in the colloquial terms of Tanya and Hasidism is avoda. It's work. This is the work of being a person. This is the work of humanity. This is the work of connection. So um, so even if I was blessed, if you were blessed with a wonderful childhood, it's a challenge to consistently feel our self-worth. Um, there's just so many questions that, you know, circle around us. And there's just so many realities that it is really hard to stay focused. Um, so last time we spoke about how our animal soul is in, invested in our bad mood and putting us down because the animal soul wants to set, wants to trap us into, into a lack of self-worth. It wants to constantly bring us down. It doesn't tell us that it, it, it comes up with all these really creative ways of making us feel like we are in control of making us feel that people around us are out to get us of making us feel that we're, we're not enough make, making us feel that someone else is more successful and maybe I'm not really doing it. Maybe my purpose is not this. It has all these ways of, our, of contributing to our disempowerment. It keeps us doubting ourselves. That's what it's, that's its journey is to keep us on this doubtful train. Um, because it wants to stay in control. And that's how it stays in control. Because when you are dancing in the street and saying that Hashem is gonna send me rain, your animal soul has no part in that. It doesn't want you in the street. It wants you to be with that preacher saying, woe is to me, I didn't do enough mitzvahs today and that's why it's not raining. Do you, do you hear the difference with the places that our different souls wanna take us? It keeps us comparing. It worms its way into our consciousness and on our into our awareness because it wants to keep the ego in charge. This is the commitment of the struggle that my commitment to this struggle is to allow my higher self to constantly win out. Um, my higher self is yearning for joy, for purpose, for a higher cause. So um, there's these, again, it's the voices in our head that say, you're not earning enough money. Someone's earning more than you. You, you used to be good at this job. You don't love this job anymore. It's not really purposeful. Now, sometimes that's true. So it's, we got to kind of remember where are these voices coming from? You know, someone else is more successful than you. What happened to you? You used to, you used to care about these things. It, 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 it's purpose is to bring us down. Um, they were invited to the party. You weren't. That family has more friends than you. Why weren't you included? Why aren't you in that social group? All of these things, relationships, her husband treats her nicer than yours. He has a better boyfriend. Like all, I mean, she has a better, whatever it is. All these messaging is what the, the, our, our lower self is giving to us. And we, our commitment is to our higher self. And so the tools we're going to talk about tonight is how we stay committed through the Torah. And specifically in the Torah, there are many layers of the Torah. There's the most basic layer. If you read my Facebook post recently, I spoke about this. Like you cannot get through reading about Joseph and his brothers with the basics. Like it's just the most horrific story. You got to get 
deeper and deeper and deeper. And it's the same thing. Like you can't get to know your spouse on a basic level. You got to get deeper and deeper. And what Hasidic, what Hasidic philosophy does is it like puts your snorkel on and it gives you oxygen and it takes you deep, deep, deep into the essence of what is actually going on to navigate the inner self-talk of our lives. Okay. So I am going to share a screen now. This is super fancy. One second. Okay. Here you go. Tell me, can you see it? Oh, let me make it bigger. Oops. You are wandering through. Yes. Yeah. I agree with comments. Yeah. You got a big one. Can't hear it so well. You're wandering through, and you're looking at all the titles of the books, and then suddenly you stop that. The volume needs to be adjusted. And on the title, it's got your name. You take it out and see what is this book that has your name written on it. And you open it up and you see that there are several hundred pages of that book written by many different hands in different languages. And you try and work out what this book is. With a shock, you realize that this book has been written by your ancestors. Every single one of them has written a chapter in this book telling their story and handing it on to their children. And as you get to the end of the book, with a shock, you see that that empty page has your name on it. And you realize that is the chapter that you have to write. Now you're in the middle of this library. Can you just put that book on the shelf and walk away and forget it. I don't think you can. Because if you did, all those 200 generations of your ancestors would have kept that book going in vain because it would have stopped. Hmm. With you, I kind of think I couldn't do that if they put their faith in their children to keep the book going, then they have all put their faith in me. And I have to write my chapter in that book. And when the time comes, give that book on to my children and grandchildren. That is what it is to be a Jew. To be a Jew is to be part of the most remarkable story ever lived by any people, covering more countries, more adverse circumstances, more triumphs and tragedies than any other story. And then the sudden realization that every one of us has the chapter to write in that story and hand the book on. That is what it is to be a Jew. And the second I realized that, I knew I couldn't walk away. I had to write my chapter and then give the book to my children and grandchildren. Okay, how does how does that video that first of all I'll let everybody sit with their thoughts for a minute? So that was Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, who actually passed away a little bit over a month ago. If you want to 
hear some more from Rabbi Sachs. There's a beautiful podcast with him and Tim Ferriss on the Tim Ferriss show. And he speaks about his, um, Tim Ferriss is a Gentile, I'm pretty sure. And he speaks about how he chose to become a rabbi, Jonathan Sachs, or it was chosen for him by meeting with the Lubavitch Rebbe. It's a really beautiful interview. So that video speaks to this point that I mentioned the beginning of empowerment and responsibility. Well, I should say first responsibility, right? We have this responsibility to write our chapter in that book. Now, when you hear responsibility, if you're coming from a healthy place, which hopefully we can get to that place, sometimes it takes work, we feel empowered because, whoa, I'm part, you know, I get to write a book. Nobody said how I have to write it, but I get to write a chapter in that book. So, um, so I want to ask you, do you feel like listening to that message, would this scare you or does this help you in feeling um, self-empowerment? That's what I, that's what I kind of want you to think about. Okay. Um, and to add to this feeling of self-empowerment, we are going to read a few texts. The next three texts will help us with this idea about how powerful we are ourselves. Okay. So um, I'm going to share the screen for the texts. Nope. No, that wasn't what I was supposed to. Oh, can you see the screen now? Okay. I'm going to stop sharing for a minute and we'll do this a different way. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Share. Oh, I guess it's the same thing then. Okay. So um, can you see it? Because I know there's two things on my screen. Is that okay? okay. Yes. Okay. So we're going to go to text four. Okay. Um, Ray, would you like to read text four? Can you see it? Un unmute yourself or I can unmute you. Or you have to do it yourself, sorry. Initially, only one human being was created. This is to teach us that one who destroys a single life is considered to have destroyed an entire world and one who saves a single life is considered to have saved an entire world. It also communicates the greatness of God. For when a person mints many coins from the same mold, all the coins are alike. But God mints every person through the mold of the first human, and yet no two people are alike. Therefore, every person must say the world was created for me. Thank you, Ray. Okay, so this is from the Mishnah. So this is 2000 years ago. So again, before any modern psychology, before any psychology, before Freud, before um, wondering about ourselves and wondering what our purpose is, um, this is how empowered the Torah wants us to feel, okay? So there's, I think, three key points here. Number one, is that when Hashem created animals, he created them in pairs. When Hashem created a human, he created him, him, her as an androgynous human being, him and her together to tell you that any person that you mess with, any person that you hurt or kill or destroy, you have destroyed the whole world. Because guess what? In the beginning, one being was the entire world. That was the message. Number two, 
Hashem is telling us that even though it was one, technically we should all be just minted from that one, you know, cookie cutter. But no, no two are alike. And then the Mishnah says, the conclusion we come to with this is Bishvili Nivraha Olam. The world was created for me. So is this powerful self-importance? Yes. Is this hard work? Yes. Is it intimidating? Yes. But this is how powerful a person is meant to feel. But it's again, it's it's not the power of preening in front of the mirror and just talking about how I'm in charge, I'm in charge, I'm in charge. The world is created for me, created for me, created for me. It is the responsibility of knowing that my actions matter, that I am here to keep this all going. So I really feel like I matter. It's, it's, it's really coming from this, this truthful place because this is what Hashem is telling us, that we matter. Um, <clears throat> so when, when we have ego, which by the way is edging God out, right? Then we are competing with the Mishnah. So this is not about ego. This is about responsibility. If you want to say, well, this, if you think all day the world is created for me, you're going to turn into this narcissistic being. That's the ego talking. That's where you're preening in front of the mirror. And it that's not, that's one side of the distortion of this. This is the truth of your ego, of yourself, not the ego, because the ego, again, is edging God out. This is the truth of your essence. This is the truth of who you are. Okay, so now... Um, we're gonna to go to text five. Oh, I think that one. Text five. Um, Danielle, do you want to read text five? And okay, I just this is from a book. Sorry, Danielle, you can unmute yourself, Meanwhile, A book. I recommend everybody to get this book. It's a wonderful book. It's in English. It's called Towards a Meaningful Life, and um, read by Rabbi Simon Jacobson. Many of you have heard his wife Shandy speak, or him. And here, read text five. Birth is God saying you matter. Your birth was not an accident. God chooses each of us to fulfill a specific mission in the world. Just as a composer arranges each musical note, take away one note and the entire composition is affected. Each person matters. Each person is irreplaceable. Many people seem to feel that because we didn't choose to enter the world, our birth is a stroke of coincidence or serendipity. This couldn't be further from the truth. Earth is God's way of saying that he has invested his will and energy in creating you. God feels joy, great joy when you are born. The greatest pleasure imaginable for the moment of birth realizes his intention in wanting you. Okay, can you hear me? Okay, thank you. Thank you, Danielle. Okay, so first of all, when you read something like this, it gives celebrating a birthday a whole new meaning, right? Um, Fred, um, Freud and Darwinism was all about like, oh, sorry, when, the world, when, when did self-esteem, if you look at historically, when was there a huge plummet in 
the, the beginning of like self-esteem plummeting was when Freud and Darwinism came onto the scene because it was like Darwin is about evolution, reductionism, like you're just here because you evolved out of nothing. You're, you're, you're just a happenstance in this, you know, big bang of, of life. And Freud taught, says that the core of yourself is this nasty little thing called your ego. Contrast this to the Torah's message is the core is not the id, right? The core is the yid, the Jew, the spark of Hashem. We're not denying ego, but that's just one part. That's one part that we build up. Those are all of our, 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 our things that we need to cover ourselves with, right? But um, what we're saying here is that the world was created for you. Birth says you matter. So we're trying to build up the reason for our existence and the reason to feel joyful in this world because even without doing anything, guess what? We have purpose. We, Hashem wanted us here. That is a reason to feel joyful. We're going to take a little, um, a little uh, maybe entertainment break here. And I'm going to share a song with you. Okay. So can you see this? Oh, sorry. smiled in heaven but his joy was not complete the angels were singing but their song had no wings the world was freshly painted yet the sky was feeling blue something something just wasn't right. And then with you came a godly light that made the world complete. You gave the world its heart. You gave the world its soul. Now God can call this place his home. For now there was you now there was you my brother my fellow so with all my heart and soul beyond you a change of people with a faith of steel you teach the world how to live and how to give and how I will see the face of God. You have the weather, all the storms, and you will come and draw. You are the unsung heroes of the world. And you were born of ancient days, and you were born. I see miracles before, but the greatest of them Okay, so if you want to watch the rest of the song, it's Avram Fried, my fellow Jew. But 
So what we're the message again we're getting from this is the is the point of responsibility that the greatest gift that you can give to those around you the greatest gift that you can imbibe for yourself is this self concept of I matter and yet it is still work because um, if you matter um, and you are in a relationship that's difficult or a job that lowers your self worth or doesn't feel meaningful. You can know this, but it doesn't necessarily feel like that because you're constantly struggling with this. So there's a lot of pieces to this puzzle of self-worth, of self-concept. So the core is have in front of you that the world was created for me. God needs me. I'm valuable and therefore I matter. My life has value and being able to downplay your deficits. So if you think, for example, like, you know, my friend can do this and she's so successful. You're like, wait, but I matter. So I have not yet figured out my, wh why I am here. What is it that I bring to the table? So it's, it's a constant looking inside of yourself. If, if I matter, then I need to figure out what it is that, why is that, you know, everybody around me seems to be great at their careers, but I haven't made it yet then that must not be what's for me because there is a purpose for me being here. So it's like, it's baseline taken for granted that you are here for a reason. Okay, so um, let's read now um, text seven and, um, and we will have a little bit more of this self-concept, which is um, know thyself. This was a letter that the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, who was the Rebbe from 1880 to 1950, he suffered very much in communist Russia. And he wrote this, you'll see, in response to a letter. So um, Adira, would you like to read text seven? Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. In response to your letter with your complaints about your spiritual status, I assume you read my talks in which I explained that a condition for orderly spiritual growth is to avoid burdening yourself with the foundationless accusations and claims. If you desire to improve, then just as you need to know your shortcomings, you must know your personal so uh, something moved. Um, just as you need to know your shortcomings, so you must know your personal strengths. This is important because spiritual growth hinges on a positive mood, not on constant self-degradation. You have a number of things, both in terms of your studies as well as your actions, that should make you happy about yourself. Knowing these will give you the power to pursue spiritual growth. Okay, so what what the what the Rebbe is telling somebody, or this person is coming to the Rebbe with this highfalutin idea that they want to grow spiritually, and I'm not doing this right, and I'm not doing this, and the Rebbe is turning it around on him, and he's saying to him that 
if you focus on your shortcomings, if you focus on what you're not doing right, so if this is in the spiritual, how much more so it is in the material world, right? Because here we're talking to a Rebbe, you would think the most important thing to him would be your spiritual growth. And he's saying, no, don't focus on the things you're not doing right. Focus on, don't focus on your shortcomings, focus on the, your strengths. So how much more so in our in our day-to-day -day conditions, I'm not good enough. I'm not as good as someone else. I don't. I, I'm. I don't relate. So what what's going on here is the is we're asked to recognize that this is there only to trap us, and our purpose is not to be bogged down by these. Ray, did you want to ask something? Well, yes. Um, for example, um, I'm trying to figure out. Did Hashem give me my purpose? My, I, I chose to teach Judaic studies. I'm certified in both areas. I just completed my 60th year last year, and I'm still teaching a little. Um, so did Hashem instill with me, within me, the, the desire to teach, or is that something I chose? So I don't... I don't think we're going to get into like everybody's personal mission, but suffice to say that if you were helping Jewish children learn about their Judaism, you had a very specific and important mission and you were involved in that. You know, you were, you were definitely, and yes, we do get the choice of, you know, Hashem arranges things for us, but at the end of the day, we choose and you chose this and clearly it's, it's mission driven. So I don't think, um, you know, I, I can't know what's your mission, but it's mission driven. It's, it's, it's valuable. Is that, I mean, that's all I can answer, but maybe we'll, we'll talk about it more. So, um, so, okay. So then the practice of bringing to mind your accomplishments is as is an important part of value, valuing yourself as a person, right? But this is work. It is constant work to remind yourself what you've done. I mean, I don't know if I'm the only one here that sometimes has to wake up in the morning and be like, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? And just to have these kinds of thoughts and say, I matter. If this is, you know, if I chose to do this and I'm giving back or I am doing something that's valuable, I am valuable. So, and, and this is what I chose to do. So Hashem obviously trusted me to know what to do with my life. Okay. Now we're kind of going to go to the second part of the class. So we talked about self-concept and knowing that Bishvili Nivra, oh, um, um, that the world was created for me. Now we're going to talk about humility. And the first question I asked you was, does the Torah care? Um, does, does living with the Torah enhance a person's self-empowerment? And now we're going to talk about humility and are they a contradiction? Is this concept of all day saying I matter, focusing on my, all of my, um, all of my um, accomplishments, is that a, a detriment to humility or does that contribute to my humility, okay? Um, do you envision that they are like two separate worlds? Like I'm wonderful, I'm great, Hashem put me in this world on top of every human that was put in this world for a purpose. I'm also Jewish. So like, is that a contradiction to also living a life of humility? So from, do you get the question? So how do they jive with each other? Because clearly we know that Moses was the most humble of all people and Moses was great. So that makes me deduce that being humble is great, okay? 
and there's greatness and humility. And when you're humble, you are great. But the point is not to flaunt the greatness. Okay. So, um, so from a Torah perspective, so co conventional wisdom will tell you that self-esteem is linked to happiness because you're such a delight to yourself, right? If I have self-esteem, if I'm winning awards, if I'm, you know, if I have a lot of likes on Facebook and tons of friends and I'm invited to all the right parties and I wear the right clothing and I have a great job and I'm making tons of money, my self-esteem goes up and I won an award and people praise me. And this is kind of the nineties and, you know, what we dealt with in the early two thousands. It was like, praise the kids, everybody get a medal. You know, everyone's wonderful. Never, never um, disparage anyone. Don't criticize. I'm going to feel great about myself. I'm delightful. And I'm just going to bask in this of myself and I'm high on myself. And this is happiness, right? This is what conventional wisdom tells you, but that's not the core of self. That's not what inherent self-esteem is. And this is not why real self, this is not when you have real, if that were the case, conventional wisdom, then every actor, actress, um, TV personality would be happy, right? But it's not the case, right? It's clearly not the case. Happiness doesn't have to do with your, I mean, you know, my, if your socioeconomic levels contribute to happiness, sure. If I don't have to worry where my next paycheck's coming from, I'm going to be a little happier, but that's not the intrinsic self-esteem that we're talking about here. Okay. Um, self-esteem and self-empowerment is about accessing the truth of my existence. That's where the in the, the essential self-esteem comes from. It's not based on anything that's outside of me. It's not based on my looks or my clothing or my job or my money or what you tell me about myself. It's um, when I am comfortable with the truth of who I am as a valuable person, then I can intrinsically feel happy. Now I have to say that it's not always the case that Jews feel happy with the concept of their responsibility. I would say that on college campuses today, just as an example, there are a lot of Jewish kids who feel extremely insecure and unhappy with this concept that they're calling like privilege of being a Jew. And I wanna say is that they're not really understanding what they're, they're thinking of it as that preening in front of the mirror concept of privilege. And they think that Jews who, who take the responsibility on themselves are somehow lording themselves over somebody else. But that's not the essence of, of what we're talking about here. We're talking about knowing who you are and being comfortable with who you are. So some of the most um, incredible people you'll meet are people that do have something really special about themselves and they're really comfortable with that. And they use that in the most beautiful way. They're generous with, with their talents and they're generous with, and they're comfortable with who they are, even if they are, they seem to have things going for themselves that look like that could be intimidating, right? That's the difference between somebody who lords it over you and doesn't. It's that comfort in knowing that maybe I'm very smart and maybe I, I have this really important job. I'm the CEO of this really big company and I make a difference in people's lives, but I'm really humble about it is because I'm not scared of that. And I'm not um, and it doesn't intimidate me and it doesn't make me feel uncomfortable in my skin. Is this, is this resonating with what I'm saying? 
the concept of feeling comfortable with your with your um, responsibility and with the value of who you are inside, just give me a wave, a thumbs up if you if this is resonating. Okay, so um, okay, so if I matter and I'm comfortable with myself with this, I come to a natural state of happiness. This is like a child, you know. Before a child gets any wrong messaging about life their most natural state of being is like playing and having fun and loving everyone. And, 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 and they, they feel good in that. And that's what you're going to see in people that feel good with this, um, with this existence. If my birthday is God saying I matter, then I need it. And I have a great sense of, I could either look at it as pressure responsibility. And from this comes humility because, oh my goodness, I am here no different than you're here. I am here, even if I'm making more money than you or I have better clothing than you, I'm just on my path doing my job. The same as you're on your path doing your job. We're both here for a purpose. None of us are greater than the other one. None of us, we're not in competition with each other. Um, I am needed, it makes me humble. I, a, I don't feel superior. So how does I am needed make me humble? There's two ways. Number one is I don't feel superior from anyone else because I know I'm needed for a purpose, which leads me to knowing that you're needed too for something else, entirely different. Even if I, if, if I like somebody tells me or I can see objectively that I'm more accomplished, I have a better job, I make more money, that's not what it's about. We're not headed to the same finish line. There's no race here. We are both just simply here to perfect God's world. We're simply here for a purpose because Hashem put us in this world. We're not in a race with each other. So that's one way we stay humble. The second way we stay humble is if we're here to accomplish something. So Ray, for example, has 65 years under her belt of teaching Jews about Judaism. Ray, do you feel like you're finished? Or do you feel like no. there's more to do? No. <laughs> See, that's it. That's how we stay humble because there's always more to do. If I was put in this world for a purpose and I'm still in this world, may you live a long and healthy life. Guess what? I'm still in this world. There's still more work for me to do. I am not picking up my feet and putting them on a table. Ray, you should pick up your feet and put them on a the table. But we, we have always have more to accomplish. So that keeps us humble. So number one is we're not in competition with anyone. We're not in a race. I'm not better than anyone. We are on this track. We're just on our different directions. We both have something to accomplish. Number two is there's always more that I can do. And if I feel that I'm done because my purpose is not clear, then I have to like recalibrate. I got to relearn it. I got to say, wait a minute, I'm not done. I live. I'm still alive. Hashem still has something for me. So I just have to keep looking for what that is. That is my purpose, but I don't stop because I know this concept that Hashem created the world for me. If Hashem created the world for me, he didn't create the world for me to sit back on my back and watch Netflix. Okay. So humility is the true self-empowerment. It, it, I'm sorry, self-empowerment and humility, they go hand in hand. First we, have, first, we affirm how needed you are, how much Hashem needs with you, and then 
you understand how much work you have. And that is keeping me humble. And all of this leads to intrinsic happiness. So we're gonna read a really cool text, um, text number 10. Okay. And text 10 says that this is from, again, from the Friedrich Rebbe, who himself went through, he had multiple sclerosis, he, he was in the Soviet jail, he was abused in jail, he was kicked around, he came to this country in the 40s, really a broken man in his body. Um, if you are feeling your head or one of your limbs, it indicates illness. Healthy people do not feel their limbs. Does anybody here feel their pinky right now or their thighs or their heart or any of your organs? Maybe you do, but that's because it's not in flow. It's not in its primal state. Something is going on with that limb. The same applies in the spiritual sense. If you are feeling your own existence, it indicates an illness of character, namely arrogance. Those who are spiritually healthy do not feel themselves. Now, I don't want you to walk away from this thinking we don't need to have feelings. Of course, we need to have feelings. This is not about that. This is about when, you know, when a, a, a when you're in a, a concert, a violinist, when you take on a project, when you're doing something that you're passionate about, you are lost in that. You, there's nothing else going on for you. So what this is saying is that when you are involved in something that takes how does this connect to humility and our sense of joy? How does not even feeling myself, how, it's, the, it's the ultimate happiness, right? Because I don't need to, I'm, I'm in such, um, when you are in a flow of your life, when you are feeling everything come in and out of you, all of your feelings, they come in, you feel them, you feel sad, you feel happy, they come in and out. They're not plugged, they're not stopped. Why? Because you're busy, with something that is your, that is part of your mission in life. This is how, um, this is how you have spiritual um, health by being, um, does that make sense? You're, you're in the flow of your life. You're not bogged down by existential strife. So what the Friedrich Rebbe is telling us here is to get involved in something just like a violinist or an or, or somebody who's very into music will get very involved in their music and they, the hours fly by, they're, they're, they don't feel anything. You know, you could be in the middle of a, a creative project, nobody can annoy you because you are busy being creative. And that's what this is telling us is be busy being spiritually creative, um, um, physically creative, Be do, do something that's just, a bit higher, you know, you think of all those healthcare workers who work round the clock. Are they ever bogged down? They have such a purpose in what they're doing that the little things don't come to niggle at them because they have such a, they're so purpose-driven. They're so mission-oriented, right? Is that, does that make sense what I'm saying? So, um, so the true happiness is that is the true happiness is that I'm not even I'm not caught up in my feelings because my feelings can just flow through me because what am I caught up in? I'm caught up in my purpose. I'm caught up in my teaching. I'm caught up in my helping. I'm caught up in my working. I'm caught up, you know, I'm looking at you, Nancy. Nancy, when you're when you're um, um, feeding, Nancy is a, um, 
a leche um, feeds helps nursing moms nurse. And you know when you're when you're involved in helping a mom and you get a baby to the breast and the baby's just getting ready to feed and one of your kids or you get a phone call, you're not you're not noticing any of that. You're so involved in your purpose and what you're doing, and that is where you feel your energy flowing and your happiness, and you feel proud of yourself. You know that you have purpose, and you're also humble. You're there and you're helping somebody else. It's not about you, right? It's about that baby and that mom. Okay, so the background um, is self-empowerment, is knowing I am here for a purpose, not needing, hopefully we can get to a place where less and less often we're needing to remind our higher self because I'm already there. So, and, and I'm talking about like hour to hour, day to day, week to week. It, it could, this is a voda. We said, this is work. So there could be some days where you know your purpose and you know what you're doing here and you are just, you are in the flow. Your energy is, 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 is flowing for yourself and you can do, you don't have any self-doubt. You feel proud of your work. You're giving, you're contributing. And then you have those moments where you got to remind yourself, and this is what we're here for, just to give you those tools when you're feeling down, when you're feeling like you don't have purpose and you're like, and then again, the more down you feel, the less you can be in your flow, the less you can serve God, the less you can feel purposeful. So um, it's kind of like when you're in this place of giving and thinking about your purpose, you, you have this bird's eye view of the world. You're not in a place of judgment. You're in a place of connection. You're not in a place of control. You're in a place of flow of letting the things happen that they need to happen. Um, when I am doing what I am needed for, then, um, I, um, sorry, when I'm, when I'm doing what I'm needed for, then what did I, what did I say here, then I am in this place of, of um, a flow, okay? So, so we're moving on to this next thing, which is doing things, what a mission-driven kind of things that you know, possibly could be what is contributing to the service of others. Um, does that make sense? So we're gonna move now into what am I needed for? Um, God needs us. And when we are in the act of service, then we can be more clear about um, that we're pro like what Ray was saying. So I'm just trying to, um, okay. So when, look, first of all, sorry, maybe text 11 will make this more clear. Okay, so I'm gonna, um, one second. Okay, so when I feel like I am doing what I'm needed for, when I feel good about my work, about myself, that's when I am not in a place of judgment and I'm in my higher self. And that's where I have more joy and I have humility and I have purpose. Text 11. Sorry, I got a little uh, excited about this. Okay, text 11. We here have, um, who would like to read? Deborah, do you want to, Deborah, do you want to read? This is from Viktor Frankl, founder of positive psychology. The will to meaning is not only a matter of faith, but also a fact. 
Since I introduced the concept in 1949, it has been empirically corroborated and validated by several authors using tests and statistics. The will to meaning is not only a true manifestation of man's humanness, but also a reliable criterion of mental health. I thereby understand the primordial anthropological fact that being human is being always directed and pointing to something or someone other than oneself, to a meaning to fulfill or another human being to encounter, a cause to serve or a person to love. Only to the extent that someone is living out this self-transcendence of human existence, is he truly human or does he become his true self? He becomes so not by concerning himself with his self's actualization, but by forgetting himself and giving himself, overlooking himself and focusing outward. Consider the I, an analogy I am fond of invoking. When, apart from looking in a mirror, does the I see anything of itself? An I with a cataract may see something like a cloud, which is its cataract. An I with glaucoma may see its glaucoma as a rainbow halo around the lights. A healthy eye sees nothing of itself. It is self-transcendent. Okay, so this is really also what the Friedrich Rebbe was saying, that we're not feeling ourselves when we are out of ourselves, when we are there for somebody beside, besides ourselves. So this is, so I, I want to end off here with um, this concept that when we are um, being of service, then we for sure know we are doing what God needs from us because we're doing, it's, it's the holistic, organic, peaceful place of those experiences that brings us tremendous joy. Um, as Viktor Frankl says, this is the optimal state of being when we are doing for another. So even, you know, so much of our lives could be about doing for another. And then there are pieces of our life that we just have to question, like, is this is, am I being selfish in this? Am I really doing this for another? And this is a constant, again, this is the work of life is, is this really about another? Is this really about myself? Um, so um, when we are healthy spiritually and psychologically, the happiness is deep within us. And this is why people have such a sensation of happiness when they are given to others. And, you know, personally, I think of my own job as a shlucha, as a rebbitzin, and, you know, I have given myself over to this mission, but there are times where I have to ask myself as, and I'm not saying that I'm living, you know, a perfectly selfless life, nor am I always joyous, nor do I always know my purpose, nor am I always humble, none of those things. But I feel privileged that I was born into this, you know, into this era, into this sect of Hasidim, a Has, you know, that I had the Rebbe as my teacher and the Rebbe's whole thing was like, no, 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 you're not staying here and basking in my glow and, and being at the Rebbe. This was revolutionary. Like go, go to the furthest corners of the world, go teach other people, go make your life not about yourself. And, and this was like revolutionary for its time. It's like, what you're going to send religious Jews to live in, in, you know, I lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Like there was like, um, you know, when we moved in, our neighbors were like, sure, my father was going to get on the roof and start fiddling. You know, like that was their context of Yiddish, of, of Jewish people. And these were our Jewish neighbors. Okay. You know, the Jew and the Catholic were married to each other. So this is, you know, I feel really, um, 
um, privileged for this. Um, but um, <clears throat> so Hashem needs this from us and Hashem sets it up for us. Hashem gives you so many opportunities to give because Hashem wants that from you. So if you start noticing God provides those opportunities because he needs you. So he maneuvers things often so that it is, it's in front of you to be able to do it. And this is very empowering. It's very humbling. And I just, um, there's a story, if I could find it, one more story. I won't read it though this time because I already read you your bedtime story. Um, but basically, I just, I want to get, I, I didn't review it. So I wanted to get the detail of it. But basically, I think, um, was it recently um, Suicide Awareness Day? Is that recently? Okay. So this happened, um, sorry, one second, I will find it. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Talk amongst yourselves. Okay. Um, okay. Okay, so, um, so this happened last week. One of my, my colleagues was in Florida for her sister's wedding and they had a flight for Thursday morning back to their shlichas in Rowan, at Rowan University. And as it turned out, the flight got delayed. There were mechanical problems. So they were deplaned. They were sent to a new plane. The new plane also had mechanical problems. Basically, they were stuck in the airport for the entire day with their two-year-old and one-year-old and their other child. And um, she was very stressed out. How is she going to get Shabbos ready? Um, how is she going to do her cooking and everything? So she texted a student who usually helps her cook on Thursdays about the situation. And I warned her, I said, like, could you help me? I'm not getting off the plane. I'm not going to be able to have time to shop. But she's like, it's a really big list. So um, she's like, okay, I can do it. She did the whole shopping trip, the student, she laid out all the money on her credit card. She, you know, loaded the car, she got it into the house. And this is the message that she got from the student, my, my colleague. She says, Frady, I want to thank you for allowing me to do a mitzvah by helping you today. I'm not sure if you know, but today is Suicide Awareness and Prevention Day. It's a very difficult day for me because I have made suicide attempts in the past. By allowing me to do a mitzvah today, I was able to understand that Hashem has a purpose for me and that I am meant to be here. Okay, so, you know, Hashem set that all up so that that girl could have that mitzvah for that day and she could feel purposeful that day. So, um, and, and that's really, um, and that's really what it's all about is feeling, feeling purposeful just takes you way beyond hours of talk therapy, which I'm not saying you don't sometimes need, but think of that girl who, who was not feeling good about herself, but she had this opportunity to give out and that brought her to the place she needed to be. So, um, so we spoke about me and then there's happier me and, um, it's consciously. So what these lessons are about is consciously bringing to mind that I am needed and I can do an act of service right now, a mitzvah right now. So last time it was about gratitude, looking outside of ourselves, which is one tool from me to happier me. And now we're saying me to happier me is that doing acts of service, a mitzvah, something for somebody, something for um, that is outside of myself. So I'm not so bogged down on how I am doing. And again, this is not to the detriment of 
of taking care of your, of doing your inner work. I'm not, it, it's, you know, they can be hand in hand in tandem. Sometimes we do have to focus on ourselves. I just want to make sure that's clear. Okay. Um, and I have one more song to share and it's a quicker one, or I could just share a little bit of it, but it's also a nice song. And I think it's this. Share screen. Oh, there it is. Okay. Okay. So let's exit full screen. Sorry, guys. Um, you know. Press escape on your keyboard. What? Press escape on your keyboard. Okay. Um, okay. Let's see. Um, no. Oh, okay. Good. All right. Now. This is a fun song. This life was meant for living. Living only stops when you give it. Look around, see Can you see it? Week. Living only stops Can you when you find about me. Oh, bless when okay. blessings you say. It's a gift when you give it away. You can hear yes. only. This life it's was meant to be. Just listening. So it's saying, if I'm not for myself, who will be for me? Okay. That's the, that's the Hebrew chorus. starts when you're given it's a gift when you give it away it's is that what it said it's a gift when you give it away so um were you able to hear the song ish okay so that was called um i could send you the link um anyway um okay that's it so um this life is meant for living you're only living when you you're, start living when you're giving and that is the self-concept of intrinsic value and humility, hi Riva. And um, any questions, any comments? Any? Thank you. Thank you, Dina. Thank you. Will you send us a link for the song, you will? I will, yes. Thank you. Thank you, Ray. Thanks for contributing. Hey, Melissa. Thank you. Thanks for joining. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thank you all. Bye-bye. Thank you. Happy New Bye. Year. Happy New Year. Yes, 2021. May it bring us only good things. May it be a complete turnaround. You know, all of this started at Purim. 
And Perm's about Vinahapachu, everything has to turn around. So I'm hoping that right. we get that Vinahapachu, we get that complete tumble of events now. Okay, the next one is um, lesson three. Living a holistic life inspired by the term means having a relationship with God in which our individual selves find expression. You mean revealed good. Everything is good, so it's revealed good, right? That's right. Well, no, we need revealed good. Not everything's revealed good. No, that's what you were saying, is that the year 2021 should be a year of revealed good, not just good. That's right. Amen. Take care, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Happy New Year. Thank you.